Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Criterion Critics are back with another review of a film from our ever-expanding Criterion Library. I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. And this month we're reviewing In a Lonely Place from 1950, number 810 on the Criterion release schedule. But before we get into our review of that Criterion disc, first, a review of the films that were released in December of 2022 and January of 2023. First, a qualification. Uh, Sometimes we record these early, and after the last podcast we recorded, an announcement came out of an additional Criterion release coming out in November of 2022, and specifically November November 22nd of 2022, WALL-E in 4K uh, from 2008, the Pixar animated film, Academy Award nominated film uh, from director Andrew Stanton and Pixar, uh, a film set in the distant future where a small waste collecting robot inadvertently embarks on a space journey that will ultimately decide the fate of mankind. Uh, Can I ask you, are there many Disney movies on Criterion that were not Laserdisc? Well, define Disney, because when Criterion first started on DVD, uh, you had Armageddon and you had The Rock, which were, I believe, Touchstone films, or uh, they were the they're Bruckenheimer for, for sure, but I think they were released under the Touchstone label, and those that was under Disney at the time, although those, those discs, I would say the extras are very much in line with like a Disney, uh, you know, a DVD uh, Disney extra but um the armageddon was a director's cut which had one additional two minute scene that actually did nothing for the film uh and then the rock didn't have any additional scenes but it had some uh making of footage and stuff but as i said it was pretty it, it was kind of the making of footage that you would expect that was be like shown on shows while the film was being released you know just kind of promotional material got it but uh, as far as animated films, absolutely not. Has not happened. So this this is uh, breaking a seal that I hope uh, soon unleashes a flood of Disney films that I would love to, and Pixar films that I would love to see uh, uh, more information about and more background information. Going into December, December 6th, saw the release of Michael Haneke's trilogy from 1989 to 1994, a collection of three films from the Austrian filmmaker uh, Haneke, who, which includes The Seventh Continent from 1989, Benny's Video from 1992, and 71 Fragments of a Chronology of Chance from 1994. On December 13th, saw the release of another box set, three films by Mai Zetterling, uh, including films from 1964 to 1968. Uh, this collection from the Swedish actor turned director, Mai Zetterling, contains three films that pioneered feminist cinema, including Loving Couples from 1964, Night Games from 1966, and The Girls from 1968. Also on December 13th, saw the release of 1975's Cooley High, 
Director Michael Schultz's comedy film, set in 1964 on Chicago's near north side, tells the story of the lives of four carefree high school seniors and best friends that takes an unexpected tragic turn. Also, That sounds like a laugh a minute. Yeah, doesn't it? Uh, also on December 13th, saw the release of 2021's The Velvet Underground, writer-director Todd Haynes' music documentary that explores the multiple threads that converge to bring together one of the most influential bands in rock and roll, The Velvet Underground. Then on January 3rd of 2023, saw the release of 1988's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen on 4K and on Blu-ray. Terry Gilliam's adventure comedy that is the account of Baron Munchausen's supposed travels and fantastical experiences across the late 18th century Europe with his unusual band of misfits. On January 10th, saw the release of 1934's Imitation of Life. This romantic drama stars Claudette Colbert and Warren William and tells the story of a struggling widow and her daughter who take in a black housekeeper and her fair-skinned daughter. The two women start a successful business but face familial, identity, and racial issues along the way. On January 17th, saw the release of Lars von Trier's Europe trilogy, uh, including films from 1984 to 1991. Danish filmmaker Lars von Trier's box set of his visionary Europe trilogy that includes the films The Element of the Crime from 1984, Epidemic from 1987, and Europa from 1991. On January 24th, uh, we saw the release of This Is Not a Burial, It's a Resurrection from 2019. This dramatic foreign film from Lesethel, and I don't know how to pronounce that, tells the story of an 80-year-old widow who finds a new will to live and ignites the spirit of resilience within her community when her village is threatened with forced resettlement due to their reservoir construction. And then finally, on January 31st, saw the release of 2021's Bergman Island. This romantic drama from writer-director Mia Hansen-Love tells the story of a couple who retreat to the island that inspired Igmar Bergman to write screenplays for their upcoming films. However, conflict arises when the lines between the reality and the fi- and fiction start to blur. So those were the those were the releases between December and January with a little coda for uh, November with the Wally release. Chris, what is the first film that you've picked up or intend to pick up from this list of films? Well, as we're recording this, I just received uh, Wally in the mail a couple days ago, so I'm quite excited to see what the extras will be like for that. the The only other one in the list, The Adventures of Baron Bun, or Baron Muchausen. You know, this is the third in Terry Gilliam's kind of little trilogy, I guess. And already, Time Bandits and Brazil, as part of that, are on the Criterion. So I kind of feel like this one was a little bit overdue. And plus it's 4K. For me, uh, this one's a little, the, the most weird of the three films, but I still need it for to complete my collection. And other than that, maybe Cooley High, if the movie was good enough, I've never seen it, but it's, it sounds interesting to me. Well, uh, I bought WALL-E uh, <laughs> on its release date. I had ordered it in advance. It was uh, during the sale for uh, Barnes and Noble, so it was half off, and it was in 4K. I, I, although I hemmed and hawed about it because I have Wally on in 3D for my 3D television, and I, 
you know, some of the extras are very similar. So uh, at least to what they were described as. Uh, but I'll support at least a Pixar, a Disney film coming out. I'm hoping that this, as I said, is going to be the opening of the floodgates. And we're going to see a lot more films coming from Disney, Disney, if not just Pixar, uh, and getting Criterion discs for those films. And I do really like Wally. I think that's one of the, the classic and uh, best films coming out of Pixar. So that was the one that I picked up immediately. Uh, Lars von Trier's Europe trilogy. That I, I might pick up that one. Um, I'm I'm familiar with it. I know I've seen uh, the element of the crime and Europa. I've never seen Epidemic, uh, so I, I might revisit those films. And I'd be curious to uh, get some kind of uh, you know cinephiles' opinions of, of of those films and what they have to say about it. But that that might be that. As of the rest, I kind of agree with you. There's not much that I would pick up. Imitation of Life, maybe. Maybe imitation of life, but that could be a very interesting film based on the description. Yeah, year it was made. Yeah, but I have no interest in the Velvet Underground. I I actually dislike Adventures of Baron Munchausen, so I will not. That doesn't back. shock me. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, I I find it very similar to Brazil, and I did not like Brazil. But you were okay with Time Bandits, though. Right? I do like Time Bandits. I love Time okay. Bandits, and I like Terry Gilliam. I mean, I think, but when he's off with me, he's way off. And, you know, like where I love Fisher King, I love Fear and Loathing, I love Time Bandits, I don't like Brazil, and I don't like um, Baron Munchausen, and I'm trying to think of the other one that I don't like. There's a third one that I don't like of his. I love Twelve Monkeys, too. So, I mean, that's, so he's very, very much hit or miss, and this was, that was a big miss for me. All right, Chris, okay. what about a film that, we'd like to, that you would like to see get the Criterion Polish? Now... I just want to say this as a side note. I'm not sure if I picked this one before. <laughs> so I have a backup. Okay. Um, one that I would like now that they are doing uh, 4K releases would be Lost in Translation. I'm not sure if I picked this in the past, but it's one that a film that I really like. I think it's a film you really like as well. Yes. And Everybody's Still Alive. Uh, I think, well, would Bill Murray even do... I don't know if he would sit down for any sort of criterion interviews, but I would like to see lost in translation. I, I don't think you've picked it before. I think I might have uh, for it, but I agree with you that, that that would be a great for, especially with the 4k restoration, because I don't think it's been released in 4k. No, it has not. Or I would have bought it already. Right. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think that's a good pick. I don't, I, I have no gripes about that. That's a, a film that I, I would like to see a little bit more on and get the criterion polish. My pick is staying in the vein of something tied to this film. Uh, another Humphrey Bogart film, Maltese Falcon. I, I, I always liked the Maltese Falcon and that would be great. And if they, and if they went back and also did a 4k restoration of it at the same time, I think would be a great uh, criterion release. Uh, I, I, I would somewhat hope that they would eventually approach doing some, uh, some of these classic films. Cause I love the, the criterion restorations of these films. They're so clean and they look so good on the screen. And it, especially if they're uh, upgraded to 4k, then it's just, it's like you're seeing it in the theater on a, a clean, print so uh that's that's something i would like to see released on criterion well i don't know if it'd be criterion or not but they just redid casablanca yeah. in 4k they did uh, <laughs> and i have purchased that and it's still not watched it so i hope somebody will release maltese falcon in 4k if criterion does not but i would buy that in a second as well 
All right, turning our attention to this month's review, In a Lonely Place, uh, directed by Nicholas Ray and starring Humphrey Bogart. Um, starting off our discussion with what versions we have, I have the Blu-ray version. Chris, is that what you have as well? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, so I'm assuming we have the same cover. The, the The cover is Humphrey Bogart, I think, sitting on a bed and kind of with his tie untied, his bow tie unti- untied, you know, smoking a cigarette, looking a little bit disheveled. And I would assume... He's not happy. Yeah, he's not not a very happy man. And I, I assume that's the girlfriend, although I, I'm blanking on her name right now, Gloria Graham, lying next to him, although you cannot see her face. You just see her hair uh, asleep. Uh, that, and that's essentially the cover. Back cover is just a black back cover with white lettering. On the interior, uh, you have a still image of Humphrey Bogart um, standing over, okay, I'm trying to, I apologize. My disc is in the way. Uh, Gloria Graham at the, I don't, I assume it's at the beach and looking very confrontational with her. I think this is the scene when they were out with friends. Um, and yeah, his cop friend and his wife. Correct. On the disc is both Gloria Graham and Humphrey Bogart, uh, and oh yeah, there, there's the cop friend. And once I pull out the pamphlet, let's <laughs> see him at the other end of that. Uh, on the disc is just the two of them together, and then in the packet you've got a still image of them in the car, his arm around her, appearing to be slowly tightening, as if to strangle her, and implying that he might be the killer in this sense. So that is the cover and the descriptions of what we have in the case. Chris, I'm assuming you have the same. That's correct. All right. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think it has all the iconic images from the film. I mean, w- me personally, I think for you, this is the first time you ever saw the film for this Criterion Review, right? Correct. It was. Uh, and this is a classic in my house. So these are images that are very familiar to me. So when I think the film, they pick the essence of this film. So I think it was very apt what they chose. Okay. I got to say, I'm a little unimpressed with the cover. Uh, It's a still image from the film. It's not a bad still image. Uh, This film is not iconic to me. This is the first time I saw it, although I enjoyed it immensely. But it was not one that I would consider a a classic, if you will. Uh, The still image doesn't, even after seeing the film, I don't think the still image really captures the essence of the film and gives you much to to know about the film or even implied. And because it's just a black and white image, I thought it was a little dull, a little uh, boring, especially for a film that I think is immensely interesting. (laughs) I I really, I I just don't think it captures people's, it it was really going to reel people in with just that still image. You have to already know something about the film like yourself. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I mean, if you see some of their other releases around this time, Arsenic and Old Lace and things like that, they put a little bit of artistic Correct. work into it. And this one, they definitely did not. I'm not complaining myself, but uh, I can see why you that would not be as appealing to you. Yeah, I mean, in the recent months, you and I have reviewed Swing Time, which once again also had somewhat of a black and white still image on the cover, which rather dull and uninteresting. But then we had My Man Godfrey, which had an almost an animated drawing with a little bit of color to it that I thought was it popped. It was much more interesting, if you will, just to even look at. I'm not exactly sure how you would do any sort of artwork for In a Lonely Place because <laughs> it's not a happy film. No. It is not. 
All right. What about the conversion quality, Chris? Uh, when you watched it, I, you know, you're talking, you already mentioned that you're buying films in 4K now. Um, this was not a 4K restoration of the film. No. Um, this was, was 2K. 2K. But it was a fairly clean version of the film. What what were your thoughts watching on your nice new brand, brand new 4K television? Yeah, I thought it was great. I didn't have any call outs. I didn't notice any pops or burns or anything like that uh, offhand. So I was more than happy with it. And to me, I know there's a lot of people out there that just don't like black and white films, but I love black and white films. I love black and white photography. And when you put anything 2K and 4K and do great quality, it really pops on the screen almost as if you're watching it the day it came out. Yeah. I, I, I was pretty impressed with the the imagery. It's a very, very clean print. You know, as a, I was just mentioning with like the Maltese Falcon and some of the other older films getting uh, cleaned up for Criterion releases. I, that's one of the things I like about watching some of these older films is they're just so clean. It, it, it had a nice, clean image, no screen burns, uh, you know, no uh, jump cuts, if you will. The sound was okay. Uh, you know, once again, it was not a film made for bombast- bombastic sound. Uh, and the, the, although there's a lot of, there's some music in the film, it, you know, it played like I was watching a 1940s film, you know, or in this case, 1950s film. But How'd you like the backgrounds when he's driving? Uh, it, it was, I mean, are you talking about the visuals or are you talking the sound? The visuals. The visuals? I mean, it's okay. I mean... <laughs> yeah, because sometimes when you clean them up, you're like, oh, yeah. they are in a car with a projection behind them. Yeah, that's, you know, you know, projected screen behind them. I mean, it's very obvious, but that's just the way they did things back in the day. I've, you, you get accustomed to seeing that, that I kind of blur over that now. But yeah. I, I thought it was a very, very good restored version of it. The sound was okay. Uh, and and not, I'm not saying that it, it was bad. It was just there's not much... To sound of sound in this is this heavy drama with some music and that's it you know it's not a special effects driven show uh it's not you know you're not a lot of gunplay or anything like that all right uh the extras on the disc uh you are inc- you have a commentary we have a commentary a uh, full-length commentary by scholar dana pollen uh, author of the BFI Film Classics monograph on uh, In a Lo- Lonely Place, uh, who talks about the film that was recorded exclusively for the Criterion release in 2015. Uh, he, there's a documentary entitled I'm a Stranger Here Myself, uh, which is an archival documentary, documentary film that takes a closer look at Nicholas Ray's background and professional career and body of work <laughs> and his hippie lifestyle in the 70s. Nicholas Ray was an interesting fellow. He he was. Uh, it's narr- narrated by Howard De Silva. Uh, as I said, this was re- released back in the day. This was not created for the Criterion. Runs about forty-one minutes long. Uh, then there's a video interview of Gloria Graham by Vincent Sucurio, author of Suicide Blonde: The Life of Gloria Graham. This was recorded exclusively for the Criterion in 2015. Uh, then there's a, a revisited featurette call of In a Lonely Place uh, that has uh, director Curtis Hansen uh, talking about the film and the personalities of the characters played by Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham, uh, as well as the impact of the film uh, on his individual work. Uh, that was released, uh, pr- was produced in 2002, not created for the Criterion itself, runs about 21 minutes long. Then you have a radio broadcast of the, uh, the Dorothy B. Hughes's novel, um, which was produced by Robert Montgomery. 
and broadcast in 1968, a couple of years before the film, runs about 60 minutes long. You have the trailer uh, for the film, and then you have a leaflet featuring Imogene, Sarah Smith's essay, An Epitaph for Love. She is the author of In Lonely Places, Film Noir, Beyond the City, and Buster Keaton, The Persistence of Comedy. Uh, So a book for you and a book for Bobby, I would assume. So, Chris, those are our extras in the on the disc here. What extras are you missing? What did you feel like once you got done watching it, you felt was lacking? You know, no actors. I mean, I understand 1950; they've all passed, but that and that's going to be the the downside for any of these older films. I think I would love to see uh, an interview with Humphrey Bogart just talking about one of his movies. I don't know if that's even something he would have even considered back in the day. But um, I would have liked to have seen something with him because I think this one was a fairly personal one, this film for him. Otherwise, I just would have liked it a little bit more in a lonely place focused. Um, you know, the director, although very interesting, it, it he only had maybe two or three words about in a lonely place in that whole documentary that I remember. You know, just a little bit more in a lonely place centric. Yeah, I, I will agree with you on that, that it's not in a lonely place centric. They, they, they talk about the periphery. You have the interview with Gloria Graham, but that's about the entirety of her career, not about in a lonely place. Um, you have the documentary about Nicholas Ray, which I didn't really find that as interesting or as enlightening as I think they thought it was going to be. Um, I, I, I got more of the message that drugs are bad. Um, that, uh, you know that when he recorded that, I think he was only about maybe six years older than you and I, maybe yeah. seven than we are right now. Than we are right now. So yeah, drugs are a bad thing. Smoking's a bad thing. I think it, it ages looked, you, man. He looked a lot older than that. And I agree with you. I also wish there was something. And I know it would be hard pressed. I've I, I don't think I've ever seen an interview with Humphrey Bogart in no. on anything at any point in time despite me watching many films and uh, DVDs, not just Criterion's otherwise, uh, otherwise, of him talking about his career or his film or anything like that. And I'm sure he did, but I just I, I just don't know if it still exists. So I would like to have seen something. And, and yeah, I do agree with you. It's just I would like more about this film because especially know, what you do find out about the film and about the original novel, they are very distinctly two different beasts. And that that they chose to make this film the way it was, I think is an interesting conversation. And you get a little of that from the commentary, very little of it, but I would love to know more about that. And it's funny you bring up the book because I actually read the book uh, before we recorded this. And yeah, they are, while the characters have a lot of the same names, it's, there's a different tone and different questions are asked in the book versus the movie. Yes. Uh, what about quality and quantity of the extras we do have, Chris? What did you think of what we did have, and was it impressive? Well, I'm torn on the commentary, because while it was very informative and I enjoyed that, it was just one man and it was very dry. And, you know, it's kind of hard. I, I get it. I, I don't think I could make it any more enjoyable if I just did it myself. So I, I get, you know, why it's not necessarily the most entertaining commentary but 
I would have liked to have seen maybe a second person playoff of him. But uh, Dana Poland, who talks about this film, is very knowledgeable about this film. I have no complaints about what he said. It was just the tone through the whole thing. Uh, the I'm Stranger, I'm a Stranger Myself documentary. I could have passed. Uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for this for this review, I probably would have turned it off fairly quickly. It, it definitely was like a hippie. It's my last film that I'm making. Gloria Graham, I did like the uh, the life of Gloria Graham, even though that wasn't exactly in a lonely place centric too much. Uh, Patrick, did you know the little trivia about her about the her stepson, or was that shocking to you? I've I've now blanked it. What was her stepson? Uh, her stepson was Nicholas Ray's little boy, 13 years old. She had a sexual relationship with him. Oh, yeah. I remember that. that they're discussing that, that how they acted on yeah. the set. Um, yeah. But I don't remember anything about the boy. Yeah. So she she had a sexual relationship with a 13 year old boy. And it was very is very passing. I mean, they, they didn't shy away from it, but it was very quick one and done sort of thing, which in today's world, that probably would raise many eyebrows. Hmm. They buried it I, back in the day. Huh. But anyway, I still like Gloria Graham, the actress. Yeah, I, I I will agree with you on the extras that the, the we have some quantity here. I mean, it's not just one or two things, and what we have has got length to it. You know, the 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 radio show, the you know we've done a couple of these. Uh, you know, I've, we had my man Godfrey where they had the radio show broadcast of it, which was somewhat entertaining. He had the original actors, uh, so it was a little bit more film specific. You know, we have the commentary, we have the documentary about Nicholas Ray. So there's things with length to them. But, you know, I, I, I keep coming back to the same thing. It's not about the film that I mm -hmm. bought the disc for, you know, and, you know, that Nicholas Ray went on to do some bizarre things. You know, I, I, I didn't find that really that interesting. You know, the Gloria Graham had a little bit specifically about In a Lonely Place, but not very much. So it essentially hinges on that featurette and the commentary and everything else, you know, is, is just, it's almost promotional material for me. So it, it, it wasn't as captivating for me as I wanted, I wanted to. So although there was good quantity, I don't think the quality was quite that well because I thought it was just filler to fill the disc. Did you like the radio show? Uh, I, I had trouble with Robert Montgomery as um, Dixon Steele. I did not. I said where I liked my man Godfrey's radio show. I didn't like this one. It yeah. wasn't. It was not. Was not nearly as entertaining. And and I think it was the production value. It's funny because I read the book before the radio, and so I think that also tinted it, because like in the book, in the radio play, you know, it starts out. You got that little brief background of. Dixon in the military, why he does what he does. And then automatically it cuts to um, he rings the doorbell and Sylvia answers the door. If you remember. Yeah. In the book, he, they've got that little spiel about his military, but he's doing it as he's stalking a woman in the fog that he's about to rape and murder. And he's thwarted because some, uh, some cars come by and he, he kind of freaks out and he's spotted. So he goes to a little diner where he hears somebody mention a name that sounds like his buddy from, from, uh, that he meets. And so then he goes to Sylvia. So it's weirdly condensed in a way that I didn't care, probably because the book was still fresh in my mind. 
All right. What's your favorite extra on the disc? Well, I'm going to give a shout out to the trailer because many times I, I complain that there's no trailer and we got an actual, and, and sometimes these old movies, when they have a trailer, they're really not that good. But this one, it piques your interest and doesn't tell you a whole lot. And it would have got me to see the film back in the day, especially being a Humphrey Bogart fan. So I am going to actually go with the trailer and then second place would be the commentary only because it was, it's only second because it was very dry for me. Yeah. I, I will agree with you. The commentary was extraordinarily dry and I have the same complaint when it's a one person commentary, it's really hard to make it alive and captivating. Um, but there is a lot of good information about the film and the production of the film in the commentary. So ultimately, that ended up being my favorite extra. Although I do find it a dry commentary, it's extremely informative, informative about the film. So that was my favorite extra on, on the disc this time. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, is the film worthy of a Criterion edition? And do we recommend picking it up? You know, I'm torn. I think it would be worthy if they would have got the extra, the 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 better extras is it worth picking up it's a great film it's a it's a great 2k restoration is it worth the the extra price for being on criterion i'm not sure i'm on the fence on this one part of me says just buy an buy it streaming as opposed to picking up the criterion on this one as much as i hate to say that I understand exactly what you're saying. Having not seen the film until I watched it for the purposes of this specific review, the Criterion review, I really enjoyed the film. I thought the film was really interesting. And when I learned more about the novel that came before it, I thought that made the film that much more interesting and how the creative choices they've made. That being said, the extras don't really give me as much insight, even though I just mentioned, hey, they gave me some information. It gave me enough information to know that I want more and you didn't give it to me <laughs> at all. Uh, you gave me, you know, a, a radio broadcast of the novel. Uh, you gave me a documentary about the director and which was later in his life and what he was doing around that time frame, but not about this specific film. Uh, and, and then you gave me an interview with the, the, the lead actress in the film. Um, but once again, mainly about her career, although more about In a Lonely Place than the, the director's feature ad, but not really as much about the film as I wanted. So I was disappointed. Ultimately, I would somewhat agree with you is that I don't think it's necessarily worth picking up because it doesn't give me, it didn't give me, it didn't answer all the questions I want about the film specifically. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that does it for this month's review of In a Lonely Place. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Pinterest or Twitter at MH Memories. On either one of those social media outlets, you can keep yourself informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries, news on upcoming theatrical releases and trailers, and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. And if you've enjoyed yourselves and you've downloaded us, downloaded us off either iTunes, Android, Google Play, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or any other streaming service, make sure to rate our podcasts on your chosen platform. And if you have a chance, write a short review of the podcast as well. Of course, we always like the reviews that are positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from many listeners of the show. 
Well, that does it for this episode of Criterion Critics. Join us next time when I believe Lori is going to be back and joining me for our next review, which is going to be of 1942's I Married a Witch, number 676 on the Criterion release schedule. Until then, I'm Patrick. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you all next time at our house. podcast is not endorsed by the Criterion Collection and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Criterion Critics, Miami Nights' main theme, is provided courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incomputech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Criterion Critics, and the Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted.